Your Bible is an important part of worship, and I hope that you have one with you, or you've got your phone and you can turn it on, but uh, today we have a great speaker that's going to come open the Word of God and share a word from the Lord. Caleb Crittenton probably needs no introduction to a lot of you. Uh, Caleb and Demi were in our church for a season, a short season. Caleb was our interim uh, youth pastor four or five years ago. We just really grew to love Caleb and Demi. When they were here, it was just those two, and now God has blessed their family in the last five, four or five years. Uh, Eason, their son, is three years old. Stokes is two years old, and then they've got a little girl now uh, named Lottie, uh, eight months old. This is a wonderful family. I want you to make sure that you take the time to see them after the service. Let me tell you what he's been doing most recently in ministry. For the past year, Caleb has been doing uh, college ministry in Spartanburg with the FCA organization, a wonderful ministry there, working on four different college campuses, speaking into the lives of athletes and coaches, sharing the gospel and discipling those students and those coaches. Uh, It might interest you to know that Caleb actually really spent a lot of his growing up years on the mission field. He's one of our IMB missionaries that you were supporting every Sunday when you gave your tithes and offering, and every year when you give to the Light of Moon offering. Uh, that's some of the missionaries you were supporting, he and his family. Uh, they served in Sri Lanka for many years. Caleb spent his middle school years there and his high school years there. Then, after high school, he moved to the States to go to college. His parents then moved to a new ministry location. They went from Sri Lanka to India and continued to serve as our IMB missionaries and most recently are trans, uh, transitioning back to a position in the States. Uh, this, is a, this is a young man that, that I just greatly admire and love, and I want you to give him a good welcome home today, Caleb Crittenden. Thank you so much for that kind welcome. Uh, it's great to be here. When, when Pastor Keith called me and asked to, to come and speak, I was thrilled. Um, I'm used to filling in for him when he's out of town, so just the fact that he's here today, I feel like I've got to be on my best behavior, um, so I'll try to contain myself. Um, but it is it's great to be back and, and, and to get to share with you today. I want to share with you from one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. It's in Acts chapter 16, and we'll be starting in, in verse 16 of chapter 16, so uh, if you want to go ahead and turn there or tap there, however you want to get there. Um, while you're turning there, I, I want to tell you that the title of our message today is uh, Uncomfortably Comforted. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about this ad I just recently saw for a pair of shoes. Um, they caught my attention with the tagline, Stop Wearing Comfortable Shoes. And I don't normally like to watch ads, but when I saw that, I was interested because that just seemed so backwards to me. Uh, their whole shoe line is, is built around the idea that the more comfortable your shoe is, the more harmful it is for you. That the more padding you have and more arch support you have, the weaker your foot is becoming, the more the muscles in your foot are atrophying, and the more your shoe is doing for you what you are meant to do for you. So their whole thing is to give you a zero shoe, a shoe that's like not really there. It's like barefoot, very flat and wide and open for your foot to stretch and your muscles to do what they're supposed to do. And this is their shoe line, the uncomfortable shoe that's actually really good for you. And that got me thinking because for them, they built this brand around the idea that maybe comfort isn't the best way we should determine whether or not a shoe is good for us. And I'd say the Bible might point us to look at the ways that maybe 
comfort is not the best way for us to determine whether or not our life is on, on the right course, whether or not we're most comfortable or most at ease or most at peace with the world around us. Maybe comfort is not the best thing we should look for. So I want to show you today in this story of Paul and Silas, chapter 16 of Acts, uh, four things, four reasons really that Paul and Silas choose to for a certain amount of time to abandon their comfort, to step out of comfort. And we want to see what happens as they do. Uh, some, some big things happen for, for them, and I think we, we can learn from that as well. Follow along with me, starting in verse 16. It says, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. That we that you hear mentioned here is uh, Paul and Silas, as well as Paul's protege, Timothy, and then also the author here, Luke, these, these four men may be joined by others. They're on this second missionary journey, and they're stopping through Philippi, and they meet this slave girl. And notice she's, got this, she's been possessed by this spirit that gives her the ability to, to, to uh, tell people's fortunes, and she's being exploited for that gift. Not really a gift, it's more of a, uh, you know, she's, she's being taken advantage of, but people are making a lot of money on the, this gift that she has. So verse 17 says, She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very hour. That's an interesting little thing that happens here. This slave girl is using her gift to say what about Paul and Silas? She says they're men who are proclaiming the way of salvation proclaiming this most high God. Now, we hear that, and, I mean, that sounds good to us. We give that thumbs up. I mean, that's free advertising for Paul's ministry, right? They are men who are offering salvation. They are proclaiming the most high God. Why, why is it that Paul gets annoyed at, this, at this, uh, this thing that's going on here with this girl speaking out for them? Well, we've got to consider what it would have sounded like to these Philippian people who are hearing it. This is a very pagan culture. And there'd be a very different idea that jumped into their mind when they hear this idea of a most high God. Uh, they, they would be thinking of a, a different character. Maybe you've heard of him before. Zeus, right? The king of Mount Olympus, the god of the gods, the god that the other Greek gods would bow down to, that the people would all be afraid of. This was their most high God. And Paul was aware of that. And so Paul understood that the, the lady's words, though they were true, they'd be confusing to the people of Philippi. Also, I think he's a little frustrated that there's these men who are making money off of her fortune-telling, even though she's suffering as someone who's demon-possessed. Either way, his frustration leads him to do something. And what is it that he, he does? Well, he calls out this evil spirit. And we notice instantly, that very hour, she's relieved. The, the spirit leaves. It's pretty cool if you think about it, that this girl who is speaking on behalf of the God of gods, Zeus, and then you got this man, Paul, who actually does speak on behalf of the Most High God. And when he speaks, the God of gods listens and is forced to flee, right? Uh, he, he got, our God, our Most High God, is more powerful than the Most High God of Zeus and any other God that wants to compete. And, and Paul proves that really quickly in this moment. But as he does it, he, he knows, he's a smart guy, he knows that that decision to cast out this demon is going to have some, some consequences, Right? There were men who were making money off of her, and now they've lost their, their form of gain. They can no longer take advantage. They can no longer exploit this girl any longer. So Paul recognizes there's going to be some, some discomfort that comes out of this. 
You see Paul's first step out of comfort? He sees a problem in the world. He sees an injustice in the world. He knows to deal with it. He can talk about it. He can point it out. He can tweet about it. But to deal with it, to do something about it, he has to put himself sort of in a situation of some discomfort. He has to make himself the enemy of these guys who are getting gain from her. But he does it because he's willing to fight injustice. And that's the first reason we might consider stepping out of comfort to fight injustice. We, we see, just like Paul, a world surrounded with injustice, a world full of things. Whether you, you believe in the Bible or not, we can identify in the world around us just problems, ways in which the world is not as it should be. And that's just the beginning of it for this city of Philippi. I mean, you, you look around at what happens after they, they do this. Not only are, are uh, Paul and Silas having to take care of this girl who's been demon-possessed, but look at how the, the crowds respond to what they did. When the, her owners saw that I'm in verse 19. When her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our City, they abdicate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. So the crowds joined in attacking them. This isn't just the men who were taking advantage of this girl. This is the city. They're all enraged at the fact that Paul and Silas have done this good deed in healing this young girl. What a, what a I mean, great thing to do, and yet look at how much they're, they're hated for it. This is a city of injustice. Notice, too, what the crowds yell out about these men as they bring them before the the, the court, they say, these men are Jews and they're messing up our city. I mean, I even hear some racism there. Calling out these men simply based on their ethnicity and their heritage and saying, because of that, look at the, the chaos they're causing in our city. Clearly, we see some injustice here. Paul and Silas are surrounded by it. And they've made a decision that's going to put themselves against. They're pitting themselves against the injustice they see. And it obviously leads them to some discomfort, a pretty uncomfortable situation. It's no wonder that in the very next chapter of Acts, it would be said about Paul and his men that they were men who were turning the world upside down. Because when your world is that messed up, as we continue to agree it is, any step we make to fix things or restore things, it will feel like turning the world upside down. And it will be an uncomfortable step. There there is no comfort in that, in turning the world upside down. But Paul and Silas, they step into that. They don't run away from it says, as we continue reading, when, when they bring them before the crowds and the crowds join in, it says, the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. I mean, this is what you do to, your, to the really rough dudes who, you know, show up and heal a young, innocent girl, right? This is how you treat them. This is, this is the way to respond. Those rods that he's talking about, it's a, it's, it's a, a Roman tradition. It's actually a bundle of rods. And they would, they would take these rods and they would kind of weave them together make it a lot more fierce of a beating. But the point of that was symbolic, that they're taking the, the idea of Roman law and the idea of justice, and they're bringing them together, weaving them together, and that's what we're beating you with. And isn't that interesting that that's what they beat these two innocent men with? This idea of law, when there is no law being broken, and this idea of justice, even though the very thing that they're being beaten for is trying to restore justice. Isn't that kind of ironic? And so Paul and Silas take the beating uh, and, and what comes with it. Because you've got to take care of these rough, tough criminals here. Uh, look at what it says next. After they're beaten, when they had inflicted, verse 23, when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having, 
I'm, it's interesting that they're worried about the jailer keeping them safely after all the harm they're causing these guys. But anyways, having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So like we're treating Paul and Silas as public enemy number one for casting out a demon. Crazy. It's crazy. This is the type of world Paul and Silas are here to do ministry in. They find themselves in a very uncomfortable position. They've been far removed from comfort. And let's see how they respond. Let's see if, if they do things the way that we do things when life gets uncomfortable, when the storms start to, to rise. Uh, it sounds to me like a perfect setup for just a big miracle. They don't deserve to be here, and now here they are. They haven't just been put in prison. They're in the inner stocks. Their feet are chained to the floor, and then notice how verse 25 starts, and it was about midnight. So not only all those other things are going on, but now it's pitch black dark, late at night. These guys are bruised. They're battered. They're in great pain. So what do we do here? How do you respond to that? Do you complain? Do you look for pity? Do you start making an escape route, start looking for the the best way out of there, who's going to take out that guard, and how are we going to get... We don't see Paul and Silas responding that way. They take another step, actually, away from comfort. You think about it, at midnight, after you've been beaten to a pulp, and you're stuck in this dark, you know, dingy prison cell, what would be your one escape from suffering, your one escape from that discomfort? Sleep, right? That's what normal people do at midnight anyways. They have all the more reason to do it, but they don't. They don't escape their discomfort. They don't, they actually stay in comfort. They actually abandon their comfort more. And what do we find them doing in verse 25? Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. A midnight worship service is not what I had in mind after the beating they just took. And yet that's where they find themselves because of the fact that they believe in the goodness of their God. They've been emptied so much of everything this world has and any sort of comfort in this world that what are they left with? Only hope is to to pray and to to sing before God. You see, in abandoning their comfort, they found the second thing I mentioned. They have found their true source of comfort. And they only found that because they were willing to step away from comfort. They were willing to be put in such a bad situation And they find their true source of comfort. Charles Spurgeon would put it this way. It's easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight. But the skillful singer is he who can sing when there is not a ray of light to read by. Songs in the night come only from God. And it's those songs in the night where all hope is lost. In which we find Paul and Silas being so comforted. Finding a sense of peace. Trusting in the providence of God. That God is in control despite my circumstances. And they worship in the midst of their, of their great storm. The psalmist would put it this way in Psalm 69 verse 13. He says, but as for me, my prayers to you, O Lord. Listen to this. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Did you hear that? I'm in the pit of despair. I want to be relieved from this. At an acceptable time. My prayer is typically ASAP. Get me out of here as soon as possible. And the psalmist says, no, no, at an acceptable time. When, when you deem that the time is right, Lord, hear me. Relieve me. Restore me. No sooner. 
You see, what happens to us when we get in these situations is we misunderstand the purpose of the storms that we find ourselves in. For Paul and Silas, they didn't see the the being prisoned to the stocks as being in the way of what God was doing. They saw that it was the way that God was doing something. That in the middle of the storm, in the midst of being chained to the stocks, that was precisely where God was working. And so to pray for God to take them out of it would mean to pray that God would take them out of being used by him to do something far greater. And we'll see what that is as we, as we keep going. What's happening as they have their little midnight worship con- concert? What do you see at the end of verse 25? And the prisoners were listening to them. Their testimony in the middle of the storm wasn't just about them learning to trust in God and, and become more dependent upon Him. People were watching. And church, we have to hear it. People are watching us. And they're listening to see what you do when things get tough. They're not worried about what's going on in here on Sunday morning during the worship service or on your Facebook profile as you talk about what you're reading in the Bible. They want to know what does your life look like when it gets tough? When things don't add up, when the storm drives, when you feel chained to the stocks, your testimony and your, your singing to the God of comfort in the middle of the storm speaks so much louder than in any other time and place of your life. What do people hear from us at midnight when we're in the stocks? People were listening here and they heard a worship service. And we're going to see in a few verses what an impact that actually had on them. And that's really what shows us the third reason that we need to be willing to abandon our comfort. It's to fill the kingdom. As people are listening, look at how they respond. Look how they respond to the influence of Paul and Silas. Let's keep reading. We got the miracle set up, right? It's midnight. They're chained to the stocks. And verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Finally, we got the part of the story that we were all waiting for. The the knight in shining armor has arrived. The miracle has been unlocked. And now these these valiant men of God are going to get to march right out of prison and get right back into a life of ministry, right? They deserve it. They were beaten unjustly. They had a worship service anyways. And God has answered their prayers, rolled out a red carpet. They have full access to the exit. And you know what? The only thing standing in their their way is a Philippian jailer. And he's already going to take himself out. They don't have to worry about him. What do you do if you're Paul? If I'm Paul, I break out my best Forrest Gump. I say, run, Silas, run. Let's get out of here. Let's go. Freedom. More men, you can even justify it as a Christian. More ministry. I get out of here. I can get back busy working for Jesus elsewhere. Surely he don't want to do anything with me here in this prison cell. But that's not what Paul and Silas do. Look at how they respond to the jailer. The, the jailer, by the way, the guy who is, is, is imprisoning them, their enemy. The guy who has no problem with seeing them be killed. Look at how they respond to him. Verse 28. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, for we are all here. We haven't taken the escape. And he says something interesting there that we need to point out. When he says we, he's not just talking about him and Silas. 
If he was talking about that, he would have said, we are both still here. But that's not what he says. He says, we are all here. Remember those people that were listening to the worship service? Those prisoners? Those lawbreakers? Those criminals? They're still here. Paul and Silas did enough with their moment of suffering to influence that whole prison to stay. That's pretty powerful. Because they were willing to abandon their comfort. They had an opportunity to fill the kingdom with more people who were following what they were following. Following the way of Jesus. Now, I don't know if these men stayed because they had come to, into a relationship with Jesus and they had learned enough from Paul to give their life to Christ. Maybe they were just scared because they thought Paul was responsible for the earthquake and they didn't want to see what he could do to them. I don't, I don't know what it was, but they stayed. And not only did they stay, listen to what the jailer says. This guy who was seconds away from suicide, listen to what he says to Paul in light of this crazy miracle. Miracle number one, the earthquake. Miracle number two, no prisoners have escaped. Listen to what he says in response to it. He says, the jailer called for lights to be called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? A guy who was seconds away from taking his life is now offered true life by being saved into a relationship with Jesus. And it's coming from the very man that he's been holding in prison this whole time. That's, that's a crazy turn of events. It's crazy how the tables have completely turned in this situation. And Paul offers it to him. Paul is, because he didn't escape. Had Paul escaped, he could have done future ministry elsewhere. But because he stayed, he had an opportunity in the storm, in the stocks, in the prison, to fill the kingdom with someone else who, who enters into a relationship with Jesus. Paul tells him how to do it. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Now think about that for just a second. Because if you've been in church long enough, you know that obviously the way to salvation is to believe in the Lord, to admit your sin, to, to put your trust in Him. But that is only good enough to save you, right? Paul says something that's a little, little tricky. He says, you do that and you will be saved you and your household. What's Paul mean there? Surely Paul understands the way salvation works, right? That each of us are held accountable for our own sin. Each of us must put our faith and trust in Jesus. Why does he say the household? Paul knows if he reaches the jailer, that's just the beginning. We'll see verses down that the jailer will believe And he will bring Paul and Silas to his house, bandage their wounds. Paul and Silas will share the gospel with his whole family and they will all believe and they will all be baptized. Paul sees that. He speaks it in advance. Before it's even happened, he said, you believe. If I get the jailer to believe, that unlocks his whole household. And guys, that's how it works for us. That's how people work. I think so often we get so intimidated when it comes to having that one conversation with that one person, we don't want to bring up spiritual things. That seems a little uncomfortable. If we can see like Paul, that one person never means just one person. If one person hears the good news of the gospel and receives it, that unlocks an entire group of people that now have an opportunity to hear it. That should fuel us to to take every opportunity we can to speak to that one, because that one is just the beginning to so many more 
That, that idea of a household, a family, an oikos, that they would, as they would put it here, that circle of influence. We need to start seeing those around us as not just one person, but as a full network of people. And that should encourage us to step out of our comfort, to speak truth to them, to be willing to share with them. And that's what we see Paul doing as, as, as he steps away from comfort. Now, the last one here that, we, that I want you to see, we've seen that, that stepping out of comfort helps us fight injustice. It helps us find comfort in God. It helps us fill the kingdom. But also, I mean, just, just point blank, it, it helps us follow Christ. This is the very example of our Savior. As you heard this story of Paul, just in this chapter of Acts, I mean, there were so many hints, so many places where we see him doing the exact same thing as Jesus just as he stepped out of comfort to heal this girl that would cause some controversy, that would make him be hated for it. How many times do we see Jesus do the same thing? Heal someone, meet a physical or spiritual need at the cost of making enemies with the Pharisees. Never stopped. Comfort never stopped Jesus from fighting the injustice he saw in the world, from meeting the needs of people in the world. Just like Paul, who would then be held before the crowds and be accused of all these things that weren't true and be beaten unjustly and be silent the whole time. Does that not sound just like what our Savior did in his last days? And just like Paul, who at any moment during all that unjust suffering could have pulled out the I'm a Roman card and it would have all been over. Jesus, at any moment, could have escaped any bit of the suffering he endured. Any moment could have called down angels to relieve him. And yet he didn't. He stayed in the discomfort. And finally, as Paul would look at the very man who had imprisoned him, the very man who held his life in the palm of his hand and say, I want to offer to you salvation. Believe on the Lord and you may be saved. Is that not just what we saw our Savior do? As he hung by nails on a tree and looked at the very men who put those nails there and said, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Paul is doing nothing special here. He's simply following the example of his Savior. This is why in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, it says, For to this you have been called, meaning to this type of life, an uncomfortable sometimes life, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. This is what we are called to as Christians That comfort should not be the primary thing we run after. That in moments of discomfort and pain and suffering, things are happening that God is a part of. And if we need to look nowhere else, look at the cross. For Jesus, the cross was not a detour, right? It's not that Jesus was on this mission to rescue the world and he's almost there and then boom, there comes the cross and it's in the way. It's this detour that Jesus has to find a way around to get back onto the, the, the plan. The cross was the plan. Jesus suffering and bleeding on a cross was the only way for him to pay it all, as we sang about just a few moments ago. Suffering was the way. Discomfort was the way. So let's not be quick to just dismiss that or try to avoid it or try to run away from it. As though there's not a way for God to use that, even in the, in the pain to bring us closer to him. When you put all that together, this idea of fighting injustice and, and finding comfort in, in God himself and in filling the kingdom and in following after Jesus' footsteps, what happens when we busy ourselves with doing that? What we're doing is we're fueling our sanctification. We're growing ourselves closer to Jesus. We're becoming more like him. You go back to that shoe example I started with, 
right? In wearing the comfortable shoe, you're doing that at the expense of yourself becoming weaker and more fragile and your posture and your strength and all that stuff dropping. Because that's what comfort does. It makes us laid back, right? Anybody in here ever like gone to one of those big furniture stores and laid down on a nice thick memory foam, like, you know, the super thick mattress just laid down on that and said, oh, this is a great place for some push-ups. Comfort does not push us into action. It lulls us to sleep, which is exactly what the enemy wants to do to us. The more we step out of comfort and experience some, some difficulties in life and do those four things that I've just pointed you towards here in Scripture, the more Jesus is working out in us our salvation, stretching us, developing us, strengthening us. I'll close with this verse in 2 Corinthians. Uh, Paul would say, do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. That's what suffering does. It wears our body down. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The pain has a purpose. The uncomfortable moments of life fit in what God is trying to do to grow us into the people we need to be. Now be reasonable. I'm not asking anybody to like go throw away your mattress topper or put rocks in your shoes or like intentionally make life painful. That's not what we're looking for here. I'm simply saying don't dismiss the pain that God puts in your life as being part of the way he's using you to make a difference in his world. Let's be people who are willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of fighting injustice, for the sake of finding true comfort and satisfaction in Jesus, for the sake of filling the kingdom so that more people can know and worship him, and for the sake of following the example that Jesus has given us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you have given us an example to follow. We thank you so much for the way that your son so perfectly lived this life uh, he, he himself chose to make the most uncomfortable decision in all of history, and that was to leave heaven to come to this world. What an uncomfortable move that was. And yet he did it for his, out of his love for us and his desire to see you glorified. And so may we be willing to take steps just like that uh, to honor you in our lives, even if it means at times being uncomfortable. Thank you that you work all things out for good for those who love you. Thank you that you are in control. Help us trust that. Help us to live that way as we go about our week. And then we pray. Amen.